everybody, and welcome to the On the Farm Pitcher List podcast about all things prospect and dynasty and minor league related. Uh, today, we are absolutely thrilled to introduce our show's new co-host. Uh, he's the founder of the weekly streamer Dynasty Facebook group and eventual podcast, uh, which then turned into the Fantrax Prospect Pod. Uh, and he's the lead prospect analyst at Fantrax. And now, of course, he is with us as the co-host of the On the Farm podcast, Rick Hake. How you doing today, Rick? So excited to have you join the pod. Can't wait to get into it. Uh, yeah, how's, how's it going? What's going on, Jake? I'm really thrilled to be here with you, man, and really excited for this season coming up. We've we're gonna have a lot of fun with this. I can already tell. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's been it's been great to kind of get to know you a little bit already. Uh, you know, kind of talking on the phone and and uh, and chatting and whatnot. And it's I think you know we have a lot of plans, fun things coming up for the podcast and we're going to start doing weekly episodes now uh you will be hearing us on the on the sound waves every thursday at noon and so we could you could depend on that kind of, you know through the rest of the off season through the uh in season uh it'll be at least one of us hopefully both of us every week just kind of going through all the stuff that's happened in dynasty baseball and uh, you know analyzing some some prospects and uh and uh talking about dynasty teams and whatnot so i you know really couldn't be more excited for for kind of what we got going on um, and then today for the for the first episode with Rick, what we're going to do is you know introduce Rick a little bit more, talk about his dynasty, um, some of his dynasty baseball tips, experience, um, specializations, things like that. What you can kind of expect from him to kind of to bring to the pod, um, and then we're also going to talk a little bit about this year's FYPD class. Uh, now that it's uh, it's been a few weeks since the January 15 international signing period, we have like a full full crop of, of talent now for, for all your FYPDs. Um, most of mine are happening like mid-February, so hopefully uh, everyone else is kind of on the same timeline and you can get some some interesting uh, actionable insight before those FYPDs come. Um, so before we get that, that back, get on to that, though, we'll talk to Rick a little bit more about his experiences. So let's get on and do that. First off, I always love to hear kind of everyone's origin stories right so like how did you first you know get into baseball and then how did you eventually find fantasy baseball yeah so getting into baseball um i i started watching baseball whenever i was younger i played a little bit you know in you know rec league and whatever uh but i didn't really start getting into the nitty-gritty of baseball until probably 2010 or so um you know, lifelong Mets fan. So that's oh. constant disappointment left and right. Uh, <laughs> I actually didn't but, know that. Uh, I hadn't heard the Mets fan thing. I just, um, you have my, you have my pity. I, I'm a White Sox fan. And so I feel that recently it's been tough. So um, we could really just uh, struggle together on that. Yeah. Yeah. I love, <laughs> I love talking to uh, Dodgers fans and Braves fans and they talk about, you know, oh yeah, we had rough years. I'm like, please. Tell me about it. Right, right, right. That'd be great. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, Mets fan. So, uh, you know, was around for the 2015 run. That was actually the year my daughter was born. We went to the last game in City Field, which was awesome before they went to the World Series. And uh, yeah, so that was really cool. I started getting into uh, fantasy or dynasty, well, fantasy baseball with uh, redraft leagues, points leagues. Uh, back in 2014, I believe. And, you know, just, 
I had a fun I had fun doing that uh with the points set up, but it was you know not as challenging I felt like at that point. So I did that for a couple of years, had some pretty good success with it, and you know, honestly just wanted more out of my uh you know, dynasty fantasy experience and I wanted to get into dynasty. Uh so I ended up joining I went from a ten team points league to a thirty team uh, categories dynasty league all right and big jump <laughs> yeah yeah and it was fantastic like uh, i was just like you know the player pool is so much bigger obviously you know you're dealing with so many different owners uh, you know different setups in that regard um and what i loved the most was um with these you know dynasty formats was trying to build up the minor league system to be able to create a sustainable winner um you know and and i had a little bit of experience with uh one of the one of the 10 team leagues that we did do uh kind of dabbled a little bit with you know in the dynasty aspect so they would have you know 25 30 prospects you know in their system which was awesome but we worked at that time off of cbs uh, Jake, I don't know. Did you ever use CBS? No, no. I was. Uh, I started on Yahoo before moving off. Uh, that was always my platform, and haven't haven't looked at that for a while, even. <laughs> so yeah, with the, with the CBS platform, it, especially with Dynasty, we couldn't have our players on the app. Ooh. So we would have a uh, a Dropbox like spreadsheet with everybody's minor league prospects, and it was kind of like a you know, you cannot touch them. You cannot pick them up type of deal. Right. So, you know, you're making deals and everything, like writing in all these different prospects and whatever. So that was cool until, like I said, I switched over and I, I did, you know, some of the leagues on fan tracks and did some of these deeper dynasty leagues and having them all in the player pool. Yeah. was just like. Going uh, through the like 50 pages of free agents is so incredible. Um, it, you just, you can't find anyone that's not listed. It's, it's awesome. I'm glad that you actually said that because I I feel like I'm the weirdo that goes like 70 pages deep. <laughs> right. Like constantly looking. You have to be like one more, one more, like what, what percentage of ownership or whatever, or what, like, what's like, where are you going to cut out, oh, yeah. you know? And you're like, just what, what if I find that the, the, the guy on the next bit, you know, um, it's, uh -huh. it's hard to stop. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, d jumping into the the thirty team dynasty leagues was you know great. You know you're you're working with bigger bullpens and you're having to make all these different deals with you know other owners and you know obviously like I said the the player pool is just so massive for you know uh, prospects. We roster seventy five minor league prospects in that league, so it's uh you know, it's a lot of fun and it's good to be able to kind of, you know, get to know what your other teammates or other league mates, I should say, uh, their knowledge level is and be able to kind of form some trades, you know, based on their likes and dislikes. Yeah, it's cool. absolutely. It, it's cool when you're going to get that, uh, get that, um, you know, just relationship with, with your league mates going, you know, some people, you know, are like always looking for prospects or, you know, some people really like how, how do they value different, uh, even different positions, relievers, things like that, starters, your younger versus older players, whatnot. It's really cool. You can kind of like, you're in a league long enough to kind of get those tendencies. And it's also just helps trade negotiations. I think they go a bit, you know, quicker, nicer. 
uh, in that situation as well. So always good to have those, you know, relationships. And I think that's really the coolest part of, of Dynasty is if you're in a league where you like, there's not a ton, like you get to a point where there's not a ton of like turnover and you have like a lot of consistent faces, you just start to like get to know the people a bit better. And uh, really just, I think a great place to make some, some nice, nice baseball, baseball buddies. Uh, Cause you know, you could, you only, you can only, at least in my experience, like I don't know a ton of people in real life that uh, play fantasy baseball, dynasty baseball, whatever it is. Right. So a lot of our interaction is, is online. So uh, always cool to kind of get that. And then, you know, beyond playing, you've been someone who's made a ton of content. You are always on Twitter. Make sure to follow Rick on, on Twitter, everybody. Um, but you know, you're always on Twitter, just posting these articles that you're writing for fan tracks, like, you know, whether it be team rankings, overall rankings. Um, you were talking to me before this episode about some other projects you have going on, uh, you know, doing podcasts and everything like that. So kind of like, I guess my, my question is like, why, you know, why do you put, uh, put in the time, the dedication to making content, you know, what about, this process is motivating for you, um, you know, in, in making content for, for people. Yeah. So you kind of, you know, harping back a little bit whenever I was doing, you know, the, the 10, the shallower 10 team dynasty leagues with, you know, the prospects and everything. I, um, I always devoured podcasts in terms of like trying to learn about prospects and everything at the time. Like you, you had your, your handful, you know, prospect one, you had, you know, at, at the time, you know, there was a dynasty podcast with fan tracks where cross would come on there and talk about prospects and whatnot. Um, and for those who listen to this and used to listen to like Raz, the old Raz ball podcast. And, uh, at the time, Ralph Lipschitz that was on there, but then all of a sudden he's Jeff Haunts. So that was cool. Um, I loved listening to it, but I always found, um, it's somewhat frustrating that these podcasts would spend so much time talking about the top like 10 or the top, you know, 50. Yep. And they would just keep talking about it and being like, well, you know, uh, what was it at the time? Whenever I was listening to this, you know, how good is Eloy Jimenez? Like, nah. like I don't really want to hear like about this, you know, like I know he's good. He's at the top of the rankings for a reason. What, what got me into doing this, Jake was more so like, I wanted to know about the lower level minor league players and try to get in on the ground floor. I didn't want to have to pay the big, you know, prices that it would cost me to be able to get these, you know, top rated prospects at the time. So I started doing my own research. Um, I created a group page uh, back in 2020 um, called the weekly streamer uh, dynasty baseball group page on Facebook. And, um, Literally that same day that I created the page and was ready to go, they canceled the season. Oh man. Like the same day. And I'm Oof. like, I mean, it can't get any better than that. Right. right. So I, I took that opportunity to like, you know, build the group page up as much as I possibly could get, you know, really great people in there. We built a really awesome community. Um, and then I started creating, you know, um, dynasty rankings and at the time i did them uh with salary like written out okay so i think i did like 500 uh players ranked out and then i would put down their salary breakdowns for the next three years oh wow 
because I play in a lot of salary leagues. So I was like, oh, this is a great tool. It's not out there. And then I realized real quick why it's not out there. Yeah, that's it a is ton a, of work. <laughs> a beast. So, so I did that, and I started building up my prospect my my prospect ranking separately. And I realized real quick with Dynasty, like, you can't please anybody yeah. with yeah. Dynasty rankings because they're just like, you know, why do you have this here and why do you have that there? And that doesn't make sense. And I'm just like, you know what? Cool. I'm just going to go and do prospect rankings because half the people I was talking about at the time, nobody knew what they who they were. Right. So I was like, all right, I'll do that. And, you know, that started going really well. And we were, you know, pushing content there. I created a podcast, uh, the Weekly Streamer Dynasty Baseball Podcast, which we eventually, you know, created other, you know, uh, episodes on there the prospect pod as well as um the full count dynasty podcast so we did that uh for i mean quite a while we did that all the way up until last year and then i got asked to um take over for eric cross whenever he left uh fan tracks and take over uh the prospect stuff over there so i've been doing that now um all through last year and it was great you know trying to get you know established into creating content written content like that i was doing stuff on the uh on the weekly streamer for a while but you know cranking out the amount of content i was with fan tracks was you know a little bit different and creating you know first year player draft rankings i ended up so so once again to say how much of a prospect nut i am i have a uh, top 1500 prospect rankings that I use. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So whenever, whenever Doug reached out to me, he was like, he's like, can you create a top 400? I was like, I got 1500. So right, yeah, right, right. let me it. just copy and paste the first 400 rows for you. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So like I, um, you know, I started doing that and I was just like, okay, that works. So yeah, so this past year, I think I, I think I cranked out like over a hundred articles with uh, fan tracks. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> doing that, and then uh, did the prospect pod off and on this year. Um, you know, it was it was difficult because I couldn't get a co-host for a majority of the time. So, but it's so much fun being able to talk prospects, and you know, for me, I live in North Carolina. So I am, you know, privy to a ton of minor league teams that are in the state. So I usually get out and check out, you know, all of the uh, games that I possibly can. I try to talk to the players, pull them aside, do interviews, things like that. And I would always do live looks on my rankings. Uh, so that way, you know, you could click on that and, you know, see the video footage of it, which I loved because I could go back and reevaluate later on in the offseason if I needed to. Um, and so, yeah, so I would do that. And with my everyday job, I travel all over the place. So I try to go to different ballparks, uh, whenever I do. So like up to Portland, Maine or Hartford, Connecticut, or, you know, wherever, or if I go out West. So that was a lot of fun. And yeah, so that leads me kind of up till now. And with how, how nice and uh, generous Nick Pollock was meeting him out in first pitch, Arizona, you know, he asked me to come over here and, and, and talk with you and, and join in on this awesome podcast. So I'm, I'm really thrilled. 
Yeah, no, I appreciate it. It's uh, it's it's really cool, and it's just uh, I think it's a cool story how uh, how you just you know met Nick at at FPAS, and then you know the, the I guess the rest is history, right? Like Nick is so good at at going and and finding the the best people and and kind of bringing them into the fold, and um, and so you know couldn't be couldn't be happier about about that happening and. Um, it's just cool. It's just, you know, when you can have these events in person and go and meet these, you know, other people that are, they're doing content and that are, you know, having other sites and things like that. It's just, it's such a cool opportunity. Uh, and that's something I need to get out and actually do, uh, at some point is head over to, to Arizona. But, um, yeah, so that's, that's awesome. Um, and then as far as like the prospects, like the the really lesser known prospects, uh, I mean, like you know the back half of your your top fifteen hundred uh, prospects, you know that that seems to be kind of like your your sweet spot, your specialty uh, is like getting really kind of deep into the prospect pool. Um, so can you talk a little bit about like your process for doing that? You know, like where where do you find these guys? I guess, you know, like, do you like, are you someone who relies on like video scouting a lot in like whenever you could find it in kind of the lower levels or, you know, kind of how do you go about that for, for, you know, these prospects who don't, who we don't have a lot of data for. Yeah. So for me, obviously, like I said, I, I see a ton of low A and high uh, affiliates here in North Carolina. So I do see a lot of them here. Um, I try to be able to watch, obviously, as much of, you know, ML, MILB as much as possible throughout the season so that way you can see the ones that you can't go out and see. Um, you know, when it when it comes to the lower-level minors, it really harkens back to um, wanting to get in on the ground floor in terms of, you know, checking out these prospects. You don't want to pay the, the ultimate premiums in your dynasty league, so... Really, it means that you need to try to get ahead of the curve. And, you know, being able to check out the high affiliates, the low affiliates, you know, when it comes to DSL stuff, the, the information can be a little skewed at times, um, you know, just because there's not a whole lot that is out there. But learning a little bit more about the prospects, trying to watch as much video footage as you possibly can. I mean, it's amazing. Even on Twitter, you know, you can really see a lot of these trainers of some of these players that are from, you know, the, in the in the Dominican Summer League or even, you know, prospects that aren't quite signed yet. You can see so much video footage and, you know, doing this this draft prep, you know, for first year player drafts and everything along that line. You're seeing a ton of video footage from the college ranks. You know, you're seeing some from high school as well. So you can start to get a little bit of an idea. And, you know, for those who really go out to these minor league games, you'll find really, really quickly that the cream rises to the top. You can tell, you know, a, a prospect that is on the rise by their body language and how they perform in these games. It's amazing. I've gone to some of these games before, you know, going, I, re I recall going to a Rome uh, Greensboro game, a uh, grasshoppers game. And I went there to go see, uh, let's see. I'm trying to remember who I went to go see Michael Harris. And I went to go see, Oh, uh, he just got traded to Boston and it's driving me insane. Shortstop. Um, anyway, Vaughn Grissom. Vaughn Grissom, there we go. And I was like, oh, yes, I'm going to go see Vaughn Grissom. This is going to be great. 
and I stumbled across Justin Henry Malloy. And I'm just like, yep. What is going on here? You know, this is this is fantastic. I got excellent footage, you know, home run shot from him. And uh, I ended up going out there several other days just to kind of get some more eyes on him. I went out to Hickory to go see him whenever they went there next. And it, it's amazing because, you know, these teams make all these trades all the time, right? So you're seeing, you know, prospects come in, go out, first-year player drafts. It is so much fun to be able to get out there and not only see them in person, if you can, you know, you can watch video footage. And being able to pull them aside after, they love talking to you. And I think it's amazing because, the, especially prospects in the lower minors, the majority of people who go to these games really just want to, you know, have beers and watch baseball, and they yep. don't know anything about what they're watching right. at all. And they're amazed when they see me, like, taking video footage and all this other stuff. They're like, what are you doing? And then you explain it. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, these guys are going to be in the majors someday. Some right. Of them might. Oh yeah, but then you call you call out their name after the game, and they come over. They'll talk to you. I have two little girls, so they love signing baseballs and everything along that line. It's a great experience to be able to get out there and kind of get in the mind of you know, quite honestly, a professional at work. Yep, you know. So that's what's great about it. I remember talking to Michael Harris, and I was just like, this guy is so down to earth. And then literally later on that season, he's making his debut with the Braves. And I'm like, wow. Ah, that's crazy. And that's that's so cool. I think that's, those in-person experiences are just like, they're hard to beat. You can't, you know, you just can't get a lot of that in, when watching on, on TV. So uh, that's something that I need, I need to go and do more. I, I haven't done, uh, I haven't done a ton. I, uh. I actually remember the first time I went to a minor league game was with the our, uh, the Northwest Arkansas Naturals, I think, or the Arkansas Naturals. But uh, my my grandfather's happened to live like in the in the area, and we like went to visit him, and he's like, "Oh yeah, let's let's go to the game." And I was like ten years old, and I was like, "Why? Like it's not the it's not the majors. These aren't guys aren't going to be in the majors." And uh, I think we sat like right by the field, and at one point, I, I I don't remember this, but my mom says that she was like mortified because I was like, I was like, these guys are never going to play in the majors, and one of them like looked at me and was like, "Ow!" Uh, and so I, I look how far I've come now. I and now I'm looking back, and I'm like, that's actually like that's not that far off. Like the the Naturals, they're double A. Like yeah. you know, there, there's a lot of really good players that have gone through and played there. And at the time, I was like, Psh, "This isn't the majors. What is this?" You know, um, and you know, it's that's what a lot of people are like. Hey, it's baseball. You know, we're gonna go and like have some beers and hang out. But there's all so much valuable information you can get from from those games. So I can't wait to you know just be live vicariously through you as you continue to do this. And I'll try to go out and and see some games myself and. Uh, and whatnot and we'll you know bring a lot of that to the pot of course but uh but yeah it's it's awesome awesome to hear that uh that you've that you're doing that um but yeah so with that we're gonna take a quick break we're gonna come back and then we're going to talk a little bit more about rick's uh general dynasty league uh, experience and what uh, he kind of has to to share with us about that Get started on your resolutions with Factor, so you're ready for the new year. Factor's ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning and sets you up for success in the new year. Skip the grocery stores, prep work, and cooking fatigue. Instead, get chef-crafted, dietitian-approved meals delivered right to your door. 
with over 35 meals to choose from per week, including options like keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more, plus over 55 weekly add-ons, you'll have a ton of nutritious and flavorful options to kickstart your resolutions. Factor has everything I need for a week of flavorful, nutritious eats. In addition to ready-to-eat meals, they have cold-pressed juices, smoothies, energy bites, extra protein, veggie sides, and more to keep me energized during frantic times. Head to factormeals.com OTF50 and use code OTF50 to get 50% off. That's code OTF50 at factormeals.com OTF50 to get 50% off. All right, and we are back and ready to discuss uh, some general dynasty strategies, some some experience that that Rick has. Just want to pick his brain a little bit and um, you know talk strategy as we're heading into the twenty twenty four season. It's you know new year, everything's things football is starting to die down. At least fantasy football. Um, you know the Super Bowl happens in a couple of weeks here, and then it is full on baseball season. Um, you know, obviously you still have basketball and hockey, and they're fun too. But uh, this is when you really start getting some spring training hype, and hopefully we get some more free agents to sign and everything like that. So as we're getting ready for the season, uh, we could start, you know, thinking more about the dynasty leagues that we've been in, what we can learn from them, and then how we're going to kind of, you know, take that into this year. So uh, to start, um, could you give us like an overview of of the leagues that you play in? You know, how how you like, do you play in a lot of leagues? Like, what are the scoring settings? You mentioned you kind of switched over from points to like head to head categories. Is that still kind of something that you're focusing on? And um, in deep leagues, you know, things like that. So kind of what's your, your general situation here for, for dynasty leagues? Yeah. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty much straight categories now. Um, I do play in two 10 team leagues. Um, those are kind of like the home leagues, you know, so you just, you never really want to get rid of those. Right. Um, but the ones that I, I try to play, you know, really competitively is 30 team dynasty leagues. Is really where I kind of sit, um, and like I said, categories is you know how we end up formatting them. We've done a couple. Um, I actually just joined several this off season. I think right now I'm in. I want to say five, five thirty team leagues, and then the All two, right. and then the two ten teams on top of that. Yeah. So I stay pretty busy, um, and it really. To be honest with you, it really does kind of hone my my prospect, you know, analysis because I'm also seeing how other people value. So that's pretty cool. Absolutely. Because I'll I'll be sitting here and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going after this guy. You know, I could find some really good values here. And then I'm like, oh, it's already owned by this owner. And I'm like, that's a savvy owner right there. Um, you know, just great minds, you know, think alike with that. But I think it's amazing, uh, even in a 30-team dynasty league, the amount of values that you'll be able to find on your waiver wire. So that's always, you know, like we kind of touched on earlier, you know, being a waiver wire junkie is kind of a fun <laughs> thing to fun thing to do. You just don't want to stop, like, scrolling. Right. Yeah. And it's, uh, I've had to like really f- focus on leagues with like leagues with like weekly fab, uh, like, because you just, I, I feel like if you have the ability to pick someone up every night, it, I, you could just waste so much time <laughs> going through it. Like, you're like, Oh, what did I miss yesterday? Or, oh, I didn't look at it tonight. And now I'm like go- scrolling through everything. And it's just, I feel like having that time, like once a week to just go on and kind of look through everything. 
uh, and be done with it. But otherwise, it's just like always in the back of my mind. Like, oh, I could pick up someone today. Or, oh, I just saw this, you know, that was watching this game and I saw this person or whatever. You know, I think it's so, uh, yeah, it's it being the, the waiver wire um, is just it's it's a ton of fun. But, yeah, you can get lost in that pretty quickly. Um, but, yeah, the, the deep leagues are awesome. I haven't played the deepest dynasty league I've been in is 15. Uh, so you are consistently doubling my uh league sizes and so that's i think that's awesome to have that that balance i think those extra um you know perspective on the pod um because it's a completely different ball game you know like i think we were talking about this before it like very closely mirrors the uh like a like an actual mlb team you know because you still have to have a person at least one person at each position and uh you know it's full pitching staff and everything and so it's like you the way we look at MLB teams, you know, com- being p- competitive, uncompetitive, like oh, is this a World Series contender? Like a lot of those, like benchmarks, are, they exist for your fantasy team, you know, in that sense when you're in the league that deep. So that's awesome. Um, and I know you've talked a little bit before too with me about uh, the salaries, and you just mentioned salaries a bit earlier as well. So and uh, I haven't played in a, a salary league either. I've done uh, auction leagues on like uh, you know NFBC and. Uh, fan tracks and whatnot, but I haven't done a dynasty salary, you know, salary cap league. So can you talk a little bit about kind of how that works, um, how salaries are assigned to players, um, you know, the kind of keeper aspect of it and, and kind of talk about that a little bit. Cause I think that'll be a really fascinating thing to kind of keep up with as the season goes on, uh, kind of add a bit of dimension to the, to the podcast for people who are in those leagues. Yeah, absolutely. So first off, we we've got to get you in one of these thirty team leagues because I think you'll have a blast. To be honest with you, yeah, I know. But, uh, don't, uh, let me break the news to my fiance first. Emma, if you're listening, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, <laughs> I'll, uh, she, um, you know, I'll I take I, full responsibility. Yeah, there you go. Blame Rick. Um, but no, it's like that. That cut. That that idea sounds a ton of fun. I I absolutely sure would would love it. But yeah. yes, go ahead. And, and and here's the thing. Like even you know those that are listening maybe you know next season maybe we do a a listener 30 team who knows right we'll have some fun you never know um but yeah with these leagues it's great because you know we did a couple startups this year so they start up with all of the salaries mirroring uh major leagues so whatever they're under contract for that's what you start the league with um once in, in these 30 team dynasty leagues, whenever they get to the end of their contract, you can either let them go to the free agent pool, uh, where people will bid on them, you know, um, on a daily basis, we'll, we'll bid on certain players, um, or you can re-sign them. Uh, and in which case we've come up with a really awesome formula of, you know, figuring out war, getting the average of, you know, three years worth of war and then timesing it by, I think the sweet spot that we're finding is around like 5.5 or 6.5. And that gives you a ballpark range that's roughly about what they're getting paid in real life. So you can extend them for however many years you want, you know, whatever the case might be, as long as your your cap allows. Now, in some of these leagues, they're a little bit different. Um, One of the ones I have pulled up right here, we have a $212 million cap. So... You know, a little bit different than the fab. Obviously, you're you're dealing with the money that you have with that organization, um, but you know, it it gives it a different spin to it because you are, you know, players like Garrett, like Garrett Cole, or you know, Aaron Judge, are and Verlander, 
is a great example. These are guys that are costing, you know, 40 plus million dollars, you know, 50 plus million dollars. So it takes up a massive chunk of your, your uh, cap space. So, you know, whenever you're trying to move these, you know, you're thinking if you're thinking in a 10 team or a 15 team value, you know, Verlander still holds good value because he's a quality start guy. He's going to go out there, you know, give you good ratio strikeouts, whatever the case might be. But in these leagues, it's hard to get rid of them. It's really hard to get rid of them because you have contracts that you got to look at. You got to look at how much you're getting it. A lot of teams don't have the cap space to be able to take on that. So your return is so diminished as a result, you know, so you kind of have to like work with your values in terms of that. Um, prospects hold a little, a, a, quite a bit more value than what they would in like a 10 team or a 15 team dynasty league where like you'll see a trade come over and it's like six top 100 prospects for like one major league you know, guy, you're doing a 30 team league, you're holding on to the top guys, you know, with, you know, clinched fists, you might only move, you know, one or two with other pieces to be able to get a deal done. So it's just a different concept, you know, in, in that regard, it's a little bit more reality based. Um, that's what they're, they're trying to make this to be. And it's great because you, you know, you have your draft picks, you know, some, some of these leagues do five rounds. Um, I, I'm in one right now that's going up to seven rounds, which is really cool. So you do your first year player drafts, uh, you know, you can do your pickups throughout the year. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun, honestly. Um, it really kind of, it's interesting whenever you have folks that are not used to 30 team leagues and they go in there and, you know, uh, like we did a startup just recently and everybody wants to compete right they're like right. oh yep i'm in it to compete and i'm like oh okay all right we'll see depth is what like really matters if you have your bench like full you're ready for the grind of the season because the waiver right. wires are so barren you know is you know, it uh, about, uh, yeah is it is the startup draft a snake draft then or is it uh is it the more is it the auction Okay, so Batteries. we did we did one of these thirty bands this year where it was a snake draft, and that was really interesting because you could really see you know into the minds of the people who own those teams and like what they wanted to do. Yeah, um, we did. I think the first thirty rounds were MLB, and then we shifted to uh, opening it up for minor league. After that, you could still draft major league, but you, you open up the minor league after that. And it was just really interesting to see how people went about drafting their teams. So with me and my co-owner, you know, we were like, we're going to get, we're going to draft a solid core bats. We want our core to be, you know, airtight. We want them to be cheap. We want them to be the league minimum at 750K, you know. Don't want to spend our money there. Right. And then, you know, we wanted to have a bulletproof bullpen. Like we were, we were convinced that if we ended up taking categories with young controllable bats and then going to the bullpen and, you know, nabbing five closers, 
five closers in a 30 team. Right, right, okay? right. Yeah, yep, yep. Because, like, obviously, one one closer per team, right? Right. No, we got five of them. <laughs> so, you I'm know we're taking... in the market, yeah. Exactly. And you know that you're going to end up winning saves. You know, we, we got some guys that you could be able to, you know, take holds, because holds are a factor in this league. So... If we knew that we were already taking those categories and if we could do well in stolen bases, you know, power and OBP was really what we wanted to do with bats, we could afford to wait on arms. Okay. And that's exactly what we did until the minor league draft. You know, we got, you know, some arms with upside, nothing, nothing crazy by any means. And you don't have to have like Garrett Cole and, you know, uh, Spencer Strider to win these leagues. They help. But right. you don't have to. So we did something like that. And then whenever the minor league draft kicked in, we were going after, you know, top tier prospect arms that are close proximity. Waltrip, you know, going after Espino, going after, you know, uh, different different prospects like this that are close proximity. And just remembering that, you know, you're you're having to kind of battle a snake draft with third, like 29 other owners. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You, you know, so you, you get, so, uh, you get stuck on the, uh, on the end of, of that, uh, of that group. And you're talking 60 picks between, uh, between yours. That that's crazy. That's, that was what was challenging about it is trying to navigate that the best that you possibly could. Um, and like I said, that was a startup, you know, uh, one all the way from the ground up, uh, mm-hmm. I've joined some leagues where they are automatically the teams that you you purchase, right? So if you purchase the Pirates, you have the Pirates in their entirety right now. Right, okay. You know, so I've done those too, and those are fun, you know, in their own right. But being able to build it kind of like you would with a 10 or 15 team, that was pretty cool, man. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. That sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's uh that I know that might be on my on my to-do list for for next off season. Um but yeah, that's that sounds like a ton of fun. Um and then uh talking about these, you know, kind of deep leagues and whatnot. Um you know, I think in we talked about kind of prospects um, in the, in these leagues, how they're a bit more valuable, um, than like, you know, 10, 15 teamers or whatever. Um, but I I wanted to ask, so I I think as a prospect, like as a dynasty analyst, as a prospect evaluator, you're going to all these minor league parks. I think, you know, it's pretty easy to kind of get almost like a little bit of tunnel vision and focusing a lot on your prospects, building out your system or whatnot. And I think sometimes the, the major league team was like almost takes a bit of a backseat and like, you know, cause we're so focused on like finding the next guys and instead of maybe like, you know, focusing on the current roster. Right. And so how do you like balance the value of, of prospects versus major league guys um, in your leagues and kind of like make sure that you're, you know, thinking about your team holistically in that, in that sense. Yeah. So really two parts to this. Number one, diversify, especially whenever you're taking over like a team that's already like built right. correctly, like uh like a pirates or whatever. Diversifying is very important, right? Um, whenever it comes to, you know, just out, outside of the dynasty side of it, even with the like analysis side, you know, you want to be 
as open-minded as possible. But I also, and I know I mentioned this to you, Jake, before as well, you know, looking at this uh, as almost kind of like stocks, prospects are just like stocks whenever you're looking at it in, in a dynasty format, right? You want to get in on the ground level whenever the cost to buy in is the cheapest. And you want to be able to ride that out until you can be able to sell it for major league pieces that you want to be able to have for your dynasty team long-term, right? So kind of trying to figure out where that sweet spot is, is key. You know, in some of these dynasty leagues, I remember, you know, two years ago, I picked up Vinny Pascantino on the waiver wire of a 30-team dynasty league. You know, that's great. That's yeah, not bad. Yuri, yeah, pretty good, pretty good. <laughs> I, picked, I picked up Yuri Perez on the waiver wire uh, of a 30-team awesome. dynasty league. Like, yeah. You, you can know, do it blows it. your mind. Yeah. You know, Alba Mick Ortiz was another one that I picked up last year. You know, and now he is in top 100 lists, you know, pretty much across the industry at this point. So, I mean... Once again, it's about trying to get in on the ground floor. And this is something that I try to bring to, you know, what my writing with Fantrax and what I'm going to be bringing with uh, Pitcher List going forward is trying to find these guys low. Because here's the thing, you know, Jake, you can go and pick up these guys right now on the waiver wire for minimum cost, you know, pretty much free if you want to. If they work, Great. You ride them until you until you want to, and then you sell them off for pieces that you want, or they don't work. You just drop them, right? You don't really lose anything. Um, you know, it it then becomes about what you, the dynasty owner, feel about the prospect. I can tell you all day when to sell, but at the end of the day, you need to have that feeling and have that pulse on your league. To know, okay, Alba Mick Ortiz might be at the highest peak of, you know, value right now. You know, is this the time to be able to cash him in to be able to get something else? That is ultimately up to you, um, you know, whenever you're working through these. And that's why I just find with, you know, even in the 10-team Dynasty Leagues, watching that waiver wire, taking chances on guys that you think have upside. Okay. There is there is so many levels of the minor leagues, so many prospects. There's no way I'm ever going to cover every single one of them or any of the other, you know, dynasty analysts that you listen to or read. There there there's so many, right? So these guys are always going to slip through the cracks. If you do your research and you end up, you know, picking up these guys, stashing them, riding them up like I said, Think of it like stock market, ride the stocks of these guys, be able to use them to be able to build up your dynasty leagues. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and it's such a fun game to play, you know, uh, finding them and then watching the, like the Twitter hype cycles, you know, you'll see some, some highlights getting posted by some of the bigger accounts, you know, like Eric Cross or, or Chris Clegg. And, and then you're just, you're like watching that, like the, you see like the, uh, Mr. Krabs money, eye money balls, money eyeballs or whatever, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, cha -ching. um, so it's, it's awesome. Uh, when you can kind of get ahead of that and, and watch the, the investment payoff, if you will. Um, but as, as far as like, then, you know, you said 
with finding these guys, you know, it's not that big of a deal if you, you know, pick them up, they don't work out, you drop them, whatever. What, uh, Curie, that made me think, like, uh, how much flexibility do you have on these rosters? Like, how many bench spots? Uh, you said 75 prospect spots. Um, but yeah, like, uh, how many bench spots? And then how does eligibility work for, um, you know, once they make the major leagues, how long do you have to put them, you know, bring them up to your major league roster, you know, can you go back and forth? What's the kind of situation for you in those, in those cases? Yeah. So with these types of dynasty leagues, we have 21 active and we have 19 bench spots. So, you know, your bench is pretty, pretty large for the most part. Um, like I said, with the majority of these leagues, we do have 75 minor leagues. Some of them are a little bit less. I think I play in uh, maybe two or so that are about 40 minor league spots, which I'm putting in petitions. Like, <laughs> I'm like, bring more prospect spots, please. The uh, the commissioners are like, Rick, come on. Like, you know, we can't. That, that's a competitive advantage. That's <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're like, gonna, come on. yeah we, we can't open the floodgates there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they they like uh and and I know one of them will be listening and they love saying well we'll bring it to the table next off season I'm right. like oh, okay but anyway um anyway uh yeah so with these you know minor league spots whenever they do get called to the majors you do need to bring them up to your bench um but the good thing is with um I'm not going to say all of them. Some of them have specific rules. So I've played in some of these where once you bring a prospect up, whether you just wanted to put them on your bench and they're not called to the majors or they get called up, you cannot bring them back down. So I played in, I'm, I'm playing currently in some of those leagues where if you want to get them off of there, either number one, you got to trade them to another team in which they they can't put them in the minor leagues. Or you have to release them, let them pass through waivers, and then you can add them back to your minor league, you know, uh, your setup. Now, I do play in some of these leagues where, you know, they get the call up, they got to come up, but if they get sent back down, you can send them right back down. So it it really just kind of depends on the league that you're playing in. Uh, But, you know... For some of these leagues, it makes sense to be able to go and grab a lot of these, you know, triple A, you know, or or what some of us like to call quad A players that you know will be up and down left and right throughout the season, uh, but can be able to kind of be flexed in there, whether it's a SPARP, you know, a reliever SP, so that we can put them in both spots, you know, or somebody that you think will be able to get you holds. It's nice to load up on those too. So really it's about just knowing the league that you're in and how you can, you know, be able to work within the parameters that they set, right? Yep. Yeah. And that creates an interesting situation if you can't put them, well, like, you know, once you put them on your major league roster, you can't bring them back down. Like, let's say last year, you're a team that's contending, you're in, you know, you're looking at like top five, trying to make a run, and then Evan Carter gets promoted. Like, then you're like, okay, like... Either I take the two weeks of Evan Carter production, maybe not knowing exactly what he's going to do, but maybe maybe he's you know impactful, or you're like, well, I can leave him down in the minors and just bring him up for next year because I don't want to burn that roster spot. You know, if you have like a bench player you don't want to drop, whatever it may be, that's an interesting situation because then you're like 
really having to decide between, you know, like taking a chance on the rookie plate appearances for September versus like, you know, having that um, eligibility still in the minors and not having to go through that process of, you know, dropping someone, bringing them up, everything like that. So that's a that's interesting. I, I like that uh, that twist there. Yeah, and and honestly, for some of the owners that like want to do full on rebuilds, you'll see them sell off everything, like mm-hmm. fire sale, like to the to the bones, and you'll see, you know, on some of these leagues, they'll have nineteen bench spots filled with minor league players that will not contribute to their, you know, their minimums and everything. Um, and they do that because they want to keep picking up prospects, you know, off the waiver wire or, you know, via trades. You know, I've done some of these dynasty leagues where I tore it all the way down to the bones. And usually if you're doing a rebuild like that, you're you're penciling in anywhere between three to four years of, you know, build. You got to be patient with some of this stuff. And right. it's funny because, like, I'll see some dynasty owners, you know, who haven't or who are not used to this like i said earlier and they believe that they're going to compete so what do they do they sell off everything to go for it they call this dynasty for a reason right 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 it's not a sell everything and hope it works out because you're once again against 29 other owners and you know typically where you have leagues like this you have sharks these guys like are into it so you know you you go for it and maybe it doesn't work out for you you're selling these guys for almost pennies on the dollar and you really just kind of messed up the whole setup so it'll take longer to do a rebuild yeah you know trading for for picks and everything is key to just like you would in some of these other leagues so trying to you know amass all these picks and prospects and it, it it can get very complicated very quick. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, also, I did some math, by the way. 40, 40 starting players, or no, 40, 21 starting players, 19 bench spots, 75 prospect spots, 115 times 30 is 3,450. 3,450 rostered players. And That's I want incredible. more prospects, Jake. <laughs> it's not enough. <laughs> It's, it's never going to be enough. No, that's awesome. That's what awesome. If I want pizza. Oh, man. Well, with that staggering number, we're going to take a quick ad break here, and we will be back, and we'll start talking about some FYPD prep, and we will, as Rick has been promising, get you some of those deeper, deeper, deeper names. All right, and we are back, and we are ready to discuss um, some preparations for your FYPDs. Um, you know, like I said earlier, it's kind of it's that time of year. I'm sure a lot of FYPDs have already happened. Uh, there's still a lot that has a that has to happen. I haven't done any of my FYPDs yet, um, so maybe this is a little selfish of me to, to kind of see what Rick has to say. But um, you know, I think that there's going to be some some valuable tidbits here, and uh, well, I just kind of came up with a, a general mix of of kind of of different rounds different spots and in uh rankings and whatnot so we'll kind of do a general overview here of course feel free to reach out to us on you know on twitter um with any other like questions that you have about fypds and whatnot any kind of specific scenarios but we'll just kind of do some general overviews some uh, specific analysis about some guys here um but so let's see let's dive in and let's see like where 
So first I want to ask some, a couple of general questions about your FYPD strategy, Rick. Um, so are you someone in general who prefers to you know, trade away a, a first round FYPD PD pick or trade for one? You know, how do you kind of value these, these picks? Um, honestly, maybe this year's a, a bit different. You know, this year I think is seen as very deep class. If you have any thoughts about that in general as well, but uh, overall, yeah, how do you kind of usually handle the the trading and away and trading for these these picks? Yeah, so I agree. This is arguably one of the deeper classes. I think this really compares to me, uh, similar to the 2019 draft class. I thought that that was an extremely deep draft class, and we've already seen a lot come up from that. Um, but I think that this draft class could be, you know, the same, if not even better, because there are a lot of guys, you know, pretty deep down here. For me personally, I prefer to keep my draft picks and try to acquire more, um, mainly because I, I mean, obviously obsess about learning about these prospects and evaluating them the best that I can. That and I love navigating drafts. I mean, I can go in there with a plan, you know, all day long, but I love adapting to what's going on around me. For sure. And being able to try to figure out how, you know, the feel of the draft is and the values that fall down to you. Because there'll be sometimes I'll draft players that I wasn't intending on, but the value is just too much for me to be able to pass at that point. And I think being able to adapt is a good thing. I've played with some dynasty managers that have no issues, you know, trading away their prospects. This past year, I actually tried in one of my dynasty leagues to do that approach. I did my first round draft pick. Um, and then I decided at that point, I'm in the competing lineup and I'm like, okay, I just traded my first, I just had, I just took my first round draft pick. And now I can be able to try to move my second through fifth for more close proximity prospects that might be able to help me this year. And I tried that approach and I found that it was really interesting because, you know, obviously, you know, these, these dynasty managers are seeing what they want. So they're willing to pay up for it to get their guy. Um, and sometimes you'll be able to get some good values. So I do see that there is two different ways that you can go about it. I personally like to hang on to mine and be able to try to, you know, gather the most talent that I can that fits my team construction. I think that that's also another key, you know, go for the best values that do fall to you. Don't be afraid, you know, to, to veer from your, your plan, but try to go in there with a plan of like, okay, I need to bolster this part of my, you know, prospect portfolio, I guess, if you want. You know, or, right. or just try to get some shares in some of these other drafts. I've had many opportunities to draft the same guys because people just weren't on them and they were falling. But then I've also been trying to, you know, go and, and grab different guys, you know, so that way I can have some different shares in different leagues. Right. I mean, if you have seven FYPDs, that's a fantastic opportunity to diversify, you know. Um and I, I definitely, I, I think when you can get a good setup uh, with with a good amount of picks, it's so much fun to go through an FYPD like that. Um, there's one 15-teamer I'm in where I, I was doing a rebuild. Um, and I I think last year, 
for this upcoming FYPD, I acquired a two first round picks. So now I have the second overall, the third overall, and the 11th overall. I have like I have the entire thing mapped out already. Like I've done all these scenarios. I have a spreadsheet. I am so pumped for <laughs> for that draft. Um, and so it's it's so much fun when you can do that. I think you kind of have to in the for the most part you have to be kind of the right situation for me. It made sense because like I you know tanked uh, not even out of not like it was it was out of natural necessity it wasn't that i didn't play people it was really bad um and so you kind of you're in a situation where at that point where i realized that was the case i was like okay this is going to be my fypd to do this you know um oh, yeah. but it's nice and you even if you could just acquire kind of like one extra back end first round or something you know like find the kind of the, the group that you were are really liking and maybe try to get someone a little extra piece. So it's it's always fun. You can kind of nail that and and kind of have a little extra thing to look forward to, especially if you're coming off a poor year. You know, um, yeah. it's a ton of those those drafts are a ton of fun. Um, and then in these drafts, uh, pitchers. You know, how do you approach them? Do you shy away with them the more than usual? You talked earlier about how you're. Um, you definitely, I would say, you definitely don't believe in the the mantra. There's no such thing as a pitching pos- prospect because you're really like it seems like you're leaning into pitching prospects even and and building teams. Um, so kind of like, how do you view them in FYPs uh, specifically? Yeah. So, all right, I <laughs> I do like pitching prospects quite a bit, um, and I do understand you know the feeling of you know there's no such thing as a pitching prospect, and I get that. Um, I had a conversation with uh, Chris Welsh a couple weeks back, and, you know, we were talking about, you know, Jacob Mizorowski, and, you know, obviously with the walks, you know, potentially being an issue. And, you know, we kind of both talked about this, and this was something also Scott White was talking about a little bit. I really just want to go out there and I want to get the Ks, right? So guys who have high strikeout upside, you know, these are guys that help with dynasty leagues. These help with, you know, a lot of different aspects. Yes, the walks do matter, um, but I want to be able to try to get the higher upside. And especially whenever you're talking about like the deeper dynasty leagues, you get a guy like Ty Floyd, you know, guys who have high strikeout upside in the first year player drafts. This is the least expensive they could potentially ever be. Yeah. Right. You know, you got prospects like Hurston Waltrip, that's in this class who is skyrocketing through the Braves organization. For sure. You know, these are guys that are going to give you a ton of strikeouts and could have massive upside like you see with Spencer Strider, you know? And Spencer Strider was one that was not a top-tier prospect whenever he was drafted. And look at him now. You can't, I mean, you could trade for him, but you're going to give up the farm in order to get him. And at that point, you got to ask yourself, is it worth it? Yes, titles are worth it. Winning your leagues are worth it. I get it. But in terms of your long-term success, you know, what do you want to do? So trying to get in on the ground floor with some of these guys, higher upside type of, of starting pitchers, I don't really like to shy away from it. Once again, it's a value type of thing. Um, I've gone through bits and spells where I want to go with a bat. In a lot of my uh, first-year player drafts, I did go bat. Um, we'll talk about one of them, you know, here in just a little bit, but you know, I think it's really about what fits your team construction, you know, and the value that falls to you at that point. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good way to look at it. I think, um, you know, I think there are definitely some people who would just kind of say, yeah, it's not worth it, you know, that that risk, especially, you know, like, oh, high school pitchers, there's so much variability there. And, um, you know, so it's, it's, I think I like what you just said about kind of like seeing where the value comes from. Uh, and really, I think you have to go off kind of your, your own team. But um, yeah, no, I think that that definitely makes sense. I, I have a soft spot, soft spot a bit for pitching prospects. Um, and I just think it's so much fun to watch them on film. I think it's also a little easier because like you just need to go into the game log, find the day they pitched, you know, like, oh, they they went deep into this game. They faced 28 hitters. Let me go watch that. You have two hours of footage that you can go and you can get a lot of information from that. Hitters are a lot more difficult because you have to like they're playing every day, but then you have to go and you have to find the specific at bats if you don't want to watch the whole game. And it's it's definitely more difficult. So I love just sitting down and watching a pitcher, you know, at his outing and and seeing what I can get from that. Um, so yeah, I think I'm I'm on your end there where it's like I can see how they are they are risky. Uh, there's a lot more that kind of goes into it, but they also I think skyrocket more too. You can get a lot of value out of these guys. Um, you know, if you could, if you could hit on them a bit and like you said, they're never going to be cheaper in this, in this sense, you know, if you want Waldrop this year, I think, I think Waldrop's going to be a great value. Um, especially if you can get them on like the back half of the top 10, you know, um, anywhere inside the top 10, I think would be great. So anyway, um, to, to kind of discuss a few specific players now, um, let's say hypothetically, uh, the first five is off the board. You are at pick six, um, the general consensus seems to be Langford, Yamamoto, Cruz, Skeens, Walker Jenkins. And so let's say those five are gone. You're at six. Who of all of the, you know, available people who were just drafted, international free agents, whatnot, who is the guy that you're going to take in that scenario, this hypothetical scenario that might not ever happen, but I think it's a cool, cool thought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it's funny because whenever we created, you know, the list for the show, I'd like to put down a couple just to see, and I think uh, you and I were thinking on the same wavelengths we with were, that. Yes. But, no. but for for uh, for mine, I will go with one that I've actually been taking quite a bit in first year player drafts this year, and that's Brock Wilkin. Um, Brock Wilkin, I've been watching him since he was a freshman at Wake Forest. I thought that the bat was absolutely fantastic. I think that there's massive power. Set the freshman home run record at Wake Forest and then just proceeded to get better and better every year, ultimately hitting 30 home runs in his final season there. He goes and uh, rises really quickly, does rookie ball high A and double A, 47 games played uh, with the Milwaukee Brewers once drafted, 285, 414, 473 with five home runs, 27 runs scored, 29 RBIs and four stolen bases. In high A, which is where he played the majority of his games, he did have an 18% walk rate and a 21.3% K rate. With Wilkin, I think that he's going to be a very, very solid bat that's going to be in Milwaukee for a long, long time. And I love the home ballpark that he's going to be playing in, you know, eventually. I will not be surprised if Milwaukee pushes him this year. He starts back at double A. He could make his debut by the end of the season. I don't think that that's out of the realm of possibility. Um, personally, I've heard some reports that they say that the the strikeouts might catch up to him at some point. Personally, I like the the bat path 
and how he goes about his at-bats. Obviously, drawing walks is a huge plus for OBP leagues. I think Brock Wilkin, to me, is a, a, a very solid call to go and take here at six. In some respects, it might be a little bit of a reach, but I'm okay getting that for my guy. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, I think he's just going to be such a great, uh, such a great power bat. Um, and you just watch even the limited sample that we got at uh, in the minor leagues this this last season. Just the way the ball jumps off his bat, the sound, you know, it's just it's 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 special. And watching him at Wake Forest, the, we were just talking about over the podcast how good Wake Forest has become very quickly. And I mean man it's 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 awesome kind of watching him play and he's been become one of my favorites as well um you know because it's i think he'll be able to stick at at third uh even if he ends up having move over to first like it's you know first basemen are often discounted uh and even the corner bats in general you know like oh like they're gonna hit you just need one to hit 30 homers or um you know they're not as athletic maybe not gonna steal as much but like it's very valuable to have that kind of anchor um that you know is gonna be dependable for 25 30 homers and uh, i think that he could he can get to that point because it's a 30 homer hitter so um yeah no he's gonna be awesome uh i think for sure the guy that i had come up with uh, was Matt Shaw, uh, who's a bit, uh, I guess, a bit more, a bit more chalk, if if you will, um, and I think that I mean he's just such a low, or a high high floor player, you know, good all around player, uh, can really impacts the game in so many different ways, and the Cubs have like said outright that they are going to push him through quickly. Um, it was like one of the things that they were talking about on draft day, um, and it's become more you know prevalent in general for college hitters to to go through a bit quicker. Um, and I mean, like him at Maryland was just so much fun to watch. Uh, I think the, the Big Ten in general is getting better at baseball. Uh, I also quick shout out to my Hawkeyes who are preseason ranked number 20 this year. Um, it's it's more exciting because before being Big Ten player of the year in baseball it was like, OK, congrats. Uh, you know, we had Schwarber, I guess, uh, for a while there. But now it's actually, you know, there's there's a bit better uh, competition. So he was, you know, um, I just lit up the the Big Ten and he walked more than he struck out in his in his final year at 20 homer, 24 homers in 62 games. Um, I mean, he was just he was a monster and he stole 18 bases. So he gets you that speed that you'd like to see in the middle infield. Um, you know, he's probably not going to be like a burner, you know, 25 stolen base guy, but he, he, he'll chip in double digits, I think, at least for his kind of like younger prime years. And, you know, good solid power, like good extra base hitter, very aggressive. Um, and so I think that like, he, he's just going to be able to, you know, impact you in, in a lot of different ways. I went and looked at his um, contact rate, uh, you know, short sample, of course, in uh, how many plate appearances? 159 plus 1170 plate appearances. Uh, a total overall contact rate of, I have too many tabs open, 84.2%. Um, that's awesome. Uh, like, it's so awesome. And your, your first taste of professional baseball to make contact uh, 84% of the time is crazy. That is like better than the major league average by far. Uh, of course, it's at lower levels. It's at the complex level, high A and double A, but it's still imp very impressive nonetheless. And so you kind of have that um, that kind of baseline of skills, the contact skills. Uh, and then he also, he flashed some really good power. His his ISOs were well above 200 and, um, you know, again, stole a bunch of bases. He went, what, like 18 or eight homers and... 
15 stolen bases in, in uh, his three levels there. So Cubs, like they said originally, they pushed him through quick. He made it all the way up to double A. And I think they're going to be aggressive with him again this year. So I think he's a really great hitter with a really high floor. And, you know, he might not have the superstar upside like Julio, um, where you're going to see like maybe a 30-30 season. You have like the young dynamic guys. Like he's not, and he's not that level. But I think he could be a consistent like top 100 top 150 dynasty asset for a while you know if he if, if things go right so i think he's a good one that's not too flashy but is i think will be dependable jake uh, i think we're in lockstep there obviously um i think that you know this reminds me once again of the 2019 draft class bryson stott right oh yeah this is a guy who could really be a very solid you know second baseman i think that there's a little bit more upside in uh shaw for dynasty long term in terms of a little bit more pop in that bat, um, right. maybe a little bit less with the stolen bases, but we'll see. I mean, he he very well could be, you know, even better than stop. But I I think that's a good baseline to go off of. And like I said, we're in lockstep with that. I'm all for it. Awesome, awesome. Uh, next question here. Uh, looking at uh, who we think is going to be the best value pick of the first two rounds, uh, assuming a 12-team league, so roughly top 25 uh, projected in FIPDs. And my guy to start with here is Ty Floyd. Uh, he's you know now in the Reds organization, and just watching him at LSU was so much fun. Paul Skeens is the one, of course, that drew all of the attention, all the drama, all the... Um, you know, the eyes on, on him and rightfully so, but Ty Floyd was quietly a monster in that uh, rotation. And I think for me, the biggest thing that I think I'm hanging my hat on here is that fastball. Um, because again, it's a little sneaky, you know, it's, you know, only sits like, I mean only, but only sits like 90, 95, mid nineties, or maybe 96, um, still good, slightly above average there. Uh, and then also has just really great, carry uh, up in the zone and he and he knows that he's not like sometimes you see a guy with a really great you know fastball shape that gets a lot of good ride but they are throwing it like down in the zone they're not really kind of using it to its fullest potential um not consistent with it but like ty floyd knows what his strength is and how to get the most out of it like he is consistently pumping those fastballs up in the zone to hitters and then like just dropping the hammer on that that really nasty slider that he has and so like i think that baseline of a plan of attack is good uh the only um i mean not the only it's not his only issue he's you know still a young prospect but like i I think the kind of thing that comes to mind for me is when you have a fastball like that with really good ride is usually a fly ball pitch and for more advanced hitters, major league hitters, they've learned to hit those high, you know, high velocity, high carry, high ride fastballs. You know, we saw it in the postseason with Corey Seager talked a lot about having to hit like wiffle balls or like foam balls that don't drop as much to to hit like, you know, Christian Javier and, and some guys that had really great you know, riding fastballs. Um, and so like these hitters are really good and they'll adapt to it. When you're playing a great American ballpark, that can be a little dangerous. Uh, we've seen it, you know, with... Hunter Green, who doesn't have as much uh, carry as Floyd does. But, you know, so that's, that's a bit of a, you know, concern, something to look out for, you know, so that's, you know, going to be at the top of the mind. But at the same time, like, I think that for where you where you can get him in drafts right now and how, you know, quickly he can move through the system, how much the Reds, you know, need some pitching depth, uh, I think he's a really good value. I completely agree. He's one of the ones that I've been trying to nab everywhere I can and I really think that he's kind of a unicorn in this draft is the guy that really could end up, you know, jumping up rankings really, really quickly. Um, 
for me, I ended up going with a guy that I really want to double down on here, and that's Yoandy Morales. Uh, he was drafted out of the University of Miami. He's a third base prospect, shortstop third base prospect. Uh, rose really quickly once he did get into the Nationals organization. Played 42 games, a 349, 423, 494 slash line. He didn't hit any home runs, but he does have the power. He ended up hitting at Miami 20 home runs and stole seven bases. Uh, but while he was, you know, here with the Nationals organization, he did score 30 runs and drove in 32 uh, runs batting it in as well. I think that this is a guy that, you know, for me, I, I I tried to be able to go and get Wilkin almost everywhere I could, and then I wanted to double back and be able to get Morales. And I found that, you know, he was usually kind of resting there, and that's for the deeper dynasties into that second round type. Um, and I thought that this has a lot of upside potential. This is a guy that could potentially, you know, get to 25, 30 home runs with the Nats, and I think that they're going to move them relatively quickly. So to me, this is a really good value play to be able to get in your uh, first-year player drafts as a guy that could be able to help you sooner rather than later. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and uh, Miami's been a fun team to watch on the college level recently. And I remember being very like familiar with him before the draft. And I think a lot of people expected him to go a lot earlier than he did. You know, he was when watching the draft. They always have like the you know the best available lists, and he was like for like 10 15 picks or so he was like the top of that list and it was kind of like oh could it be Yohandi? oh no they're gonna go somewhere else and so i think that like you know that provides some value you know like oh like why did he fall you, you, we don't know why he fell we're not in those those conversations but he's still a, he's a very good hitter like you said um he and he's just gonna have the opportunity to move you know through the nationals organization probably pretty quickly they don't have a lot of depth in in their org right now um there's a lot of like battles that are going to be had uh in the next you know couple of years for long-term spots and so i think that he could take advantage of that um yeah he's he's a fun one to watch and i, I like that call out there for sure and then uh, what we're going to do is going to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about a handful more players um, before we uh, send it off for the day. All right, and we are back. And talking still about FYPD guys, some guys uh, that were drafted this last year. And, you know, I think that this, this draft class, we talked about it, it's very deep. And I think when you have a deep class of, um, of players who were drafted, you know, there's going to be some people who are a little bit um, unheralded, if you will, that will go a bit deeper in leagues that were drafted a bit deeper in the actual, you know, MLB draft and that, you know, maybe in another year would be considered a little higher. Uh, but just because with the, the depth of talent, they might look at them a little differently. So, you know, is there a player that hasn't gotten a ton of attention and that, you know, you think Rick should go a bit later in drafts um, that again, might have that kind of a different outlook if, if they were drafted in, in a different year, besides this one where we have a ton of, of talent. Yeah. So I think the Braves did a really good job this year with drafting. And one that I think is kind of going under the radar, obviously with Hurston Waltrip going with their first round draft pick, this guy, Cade Kuehler is a guy that I think is, a prospect that you should keep your eye on, all right? Already, you know, he made two starts in low A with seven innings pitched, eight strikeouts. That's a 10.3K per nine. 
and had a zero ERA. But if you look at what he ended up doing whenever he was back at Campbell University, uh, 13 games started, 73 innings pitched, 91 strikeouts. That's good for an 11.2K per nine, a 2.71 ERA. And this guy just has an insane pitch mix. And he can kind of morph his pitches as well. So they're not all, you know, just standard pitches here. So he's got his his uh, four-seam fastball as well as a two-seam fastball. So he can kind of, you know, change it up that way. Usually sitting around 95 and maxes out at 98 miles per hour. He does have a slider that comes in about mid-80s. And it can also be formed at times into a cutter. So he could either have good break or he can have sharp, you know, cutting type of action here. And then he mixes in a, a curveball at 82 miles per hour. So it's a little bit more of a power curve, right? Uh, as opposed to one that's a little bit on the slower end here. And then a changeup splitter that comes in around 83 to 85. He reminds me so much, and I don't know how, how this is going to come across, but he reminds me so much of another 2019 draft pick, George Kirby, right? Ooh, okay, okay. So obviously, I'm not saying that he's going to be George Kirby, but I think right. it's interesting because if you watch Kirby, he doesn't just throw the same thing. He adapts to what he is seeing and how he's wanting to approach. This, like, Kate Kuehler is a guy that I really think could end up, you know, making waves in this Atlanta Braves, you know, farm system as he continues to make his way up. And like I said, with the with the arsenal that he has, the high strikeout upside that he showed at Campbell, which is quickly becoming a very solid, you know, organization for, for creating, you know, top-level college prospects. Absolutely. Campbell Campbell's, baby. There you go. There you go. So, I mean, I think that this is a guy that is going, you know, in my opinion, far too late. I'm seeing him fall to, you know, late third round, fourth round, yeah. in 30 team dynasty leagues. You're going to a 10 or 12 team league. I mean, this is going to be near the end of your draft, really. So, you know, you could be able to to nab this guy. And, and I think that he's going to rise up prospect rankings if he continues to pitch this way. And I'm hoping I'll be able to get some good eyes on him this year whenever he does get to Rome. Yeah, for sure. Oh, that'd be awesome. Now, Kuehler's great. I think, like, that pitch mix is so, like, so intriguing. There's so many different things that the Braves can do with that. You know, they don't have to do a whole lot of development. Like, sometimes you'll see, you know, the guy's like, okay, he's a fastball slider pitcher. We want to add that kind of cutter, that extra variation to the slider. Oh, we need to work on his changeup, you know, whatever it is he already has a built out arsenal that can, like you said, can go a different bunch of different ways. And so whatever the Braves kind of want to focus on, you know, they'll be able to do that. They kind of have the, the whole thing to, to play with, with in that sense. And so I think that's a great place to start for an organization that's savvy like that. Um, and it's just, I think that he's definitely someone who could, who could uh, rise up. So that's awesome. A uh, guy I was looking at is Walker Martin, a shortstop prospect, prep prospect um, that was drafted by the San Francisco Giants. Um, I think he was 69th overall uh, in 2023. And, I, you know, I think this was, I think, in a lot of ways, the year of like the college 
players. You know, you had the the big three at the top. You had, uh, you know, Cruz and Langford and um, Skeens. And then you had like those couple prep guys up there, Max Clark and Walker Jenkins. And then, um, you know, there's a ton of other college hitters like right after that. And then later on, you have like Namala and Colt Emerson and whatnot. But like, I think there were a lot of high school players that kind of got pushed down a little bit who, you know, I think even there are some years that Walker Jenkins could have been top two you know like he's really really good and so i think that some of the high school players kind of aren't as um you know highly sought after this than this kind of draft class with the with the amount of college talent and i mean walker martin he is an athletic kid holy cow his bat speed is is incredible he's a really quick compact swing like not a huge like follow through um it's very like repetitive, really clean mechanics and you know really quick hands you know good position in the in the and to hit and and just watching him field his position you know watching him run the bases i mean it is really prototypical shortstop in so many different ways and the giants have been looking for that shortstop you know since brandon crawford's kind of gotten a little older and then has not retired like they haven't had that guy they thought luciano was going to be that guy i don't believe they think that anymore they even gave schmidt a chance last year which still kind of hurts my heart that he didn't pan out um again i don't think they think much of uh, highly of, the, of him anymore so you know that position is open and there are other guys in the system of course and he's still very young he just got drafted out of high school but you know they, i think that he has a chance to go up and, and kind of be that guy eventually um and i mean he was he was drafted pretty late you know he was drafted in the late second round and he you know hasn't been a you know i think a big guy kind of when talking about that that first like couple dozen um the right now um but i think that i really like his just kind of his raw skills his talent the projectability in in his frame and his uh, skills is is awesome as well so um you know if you have some time if you have some time to kind of hang on for a little bit see how he develops i think that he's going to be a really fun one to to watch going forward I agree 100%. Walker Martin, to me, I was doing a write-up on the Giants system just recently, and I was blown away at his high school numbers. I mean, they're just oh, like God, completely, yeah. completely video game level numbers right there. And, you know, for him, especially being a shortstop, he reminds me so much of, you know, the first-round draft pick of the Yankees in 2019, Anthony Volpe. You know, as Very a guy solid. who could yeah, I mean, and I know with the with the average right now, everybody's like, "Whoa, hold on yeah. a second. But but this is a guy that I think could end up actually having a plus bat, you know, and be able to hit for you know some power, steal some bases. Twenty twenty, you know, potentially a thirty thirty season could not be out of the question with Walker Martin as he continues to develop. You know, you don't want to try to put too lofty type of things here. But once again, Jake, I mean. That is what I'm kind of coming back to is that this draft class just mirrors so much of that 2019, you know, draft class in terms of the amount of talent yeah, that's, the that's coming out of there. It. Yeah, absolutely. It it is there, and I'm telling you, like, if you can go and you can nab these guys that we're talking about on here, I think that it'll set you up for years to come, you know, in your dynasty leagues. So for sure, I, I like the call here. Awesome. Uh, and then uh, one more kind of question. I will give mine first because I know you have a few different names that you might want to bring up. Uh, but the late round dart throw, um, when you're talking about uh, guys that will be able to snatch up kind of towards the end of drafts uh, and then hopefully kind of pan out. 
Um, for me, I think what I was looking for is like a, a specific skill that, that someone had that I think can kind of carry them through and be valuable in fantasy. Uh, and I think that um, hitting the ball hard is a very good skill to have. Um, so my guy is George Walkow. A bit of bit of bias because he is a White Sox draftee, um, and he is kind of you know just kind of how I came across him was just looking at the White Sox draft, and I he hits the he like his exit velocity numbers are awesome. Just watching him connect with the ball, um, you know he's like really big, big frame. Like I mean, just the huge raw power is awesome, and the the issue is of course the strikeout skills. It's a bit predictable if you know I guess, um, but. I think when you're kind of you're looking at you know you're in the fifth round or even later if you have later um, you know rounds and you're in your FYPD like you're you're looking at a dart throw anyway and you know it's I, I think I'm willing to see how that how that plays out uh, because when you're six seven and two thirty nine as an eighteen year old there there are a lot of ways you can go and so you know he struck out thirty three percent of the time in fifty one plate appearances at the complex level. You know, that that doesn't tell you a whole lot. It's the same thing as if he had hit six homers and struck out 20% of the time, it, it doesn't tell you quite a whole lot. So um, I'm, I'm personally willing to kind of take that chance and see how he develops just because, you know, he could like he could turn into like a Joey Gallo or a Fran Mill Reyes type, you know, where you're just kind of hoping he runs into one here and there. But like that's still valuable. I, I think if you took Fran Mill Reyes in the fifth round of your FYPD and he was up a year or two later hitting bombs for any amount of time, great, love it. You know, you can get something out of it. Um, but yeah, I just that's something I see. I see how he connects with the ball, and that's something I'm willing to bet on much later in an FYPD when you're looking for some carrying tool to 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 bring value for you. Yeah, I couldn't agree anymore. This is a. Uh... A prospect that really kind of reminded me of Kobe Mayo oh, from the yeah. 2020 draft class. This was a guy that was, you know, tall, big levers, big strikeout potential, but man, the power was huge. We see what Kobe Mayo is now. I'm not necessarily saying that's what he would become, but, you know, we've seen a lot of these prospects be able to, you know, kind of get the development necessary and then be able to take off from there and then skyrocket up dynasty rankings long-term. So I like the call here. Yeah, awesome. Appreciate it. And uh, and then for you, I know you had uh, one guy specifically that mentioned and uh, any other kind of names that are popping out for you. Uh, feel free to bring those up as well uh, for, your, for your late round dart throws. Yeah, so I actually... Um, it's funny, I actually came up with three that are going to be kind of that first base outfield type of prospects, but the one I really wanted to mention first here is uh, CJ Kafus. okay? This is a first base outfield prospect, came out of the University of Miami, just like Yoandy Morales, um, where in Miami he played 62 games, he batted 348, 464, 581, with 13 home runs, 61 runs scored, 41 RBIs, and 8 stolen bases. Solid numbers across the board. You look at all of his, you know, years there at Miami. Very, very solid fundamental hitter. This is a type of bat that the Guardians thrive on, you know, trying to get high contact, not trying to sell out for power, right? But I do believe that there is some power in here, and we kind of got a little bit of a glimpse of that. He played at low A whenever after he was drafted. In 17 games played, he slashed 271, 429, uh, 542 with four home runs, 19 RBIs, and five stolen bases. 
What I love the most about this is whenever you're playing in OBP leagues, this is a guy that you could be able to get towards the back end of your draft and will really, really help you because he walked 19.5% of the time and only struck out 15.6. Okay. That's so awesome. this is the, this, you gotta love that. And especially with an organization that thrives with that, right? They do not like people who strike out. And I think that this is something that, you know, you could be able to work with here late in your drafts. A couple other names for you guys to keep in mind. Trey Morgan uh, is a first base outfield prospect. You know, very solid numbers in low A once he was drafted. Uh, you know, 14 games played, 396, 482, 542 with one home run, uh, eight runs scored, six RBIs and four stolen bases. This is a raised type of prospect through and through. Obviously played at the University of uh, LSU, you know, national champions. Why not? Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, where he hit very well but didn't really tap into that power all season long. He only hit nine home runs. He already hit one in what was that? 14 games played. So we'll see what the race could be able to get out of him. But I think he's a prospect that could be able to, you know, rise. You'll be able to kind of cash in on him at, at some point down the line. A couple, uh, two more that are, I want to try to touch on here. Kevin Sim is a first base, third base prospect. He's been getting a little bit of run in the outfield as well. Uh, at San Diego, he played 38 games, a 298, 401, 624 slash with 13 home runs and nine stolen bases. He did very well once he did get to uh, rookie ball and low A with the Diamondbacks and uh, ended up slashing 288, 353, 424 with three home runs, 21 RBIs, and two stolen bases. Once again, a very solid way to be able to end your draft, especially in some of these deeper dynasty leagues. I've actually seen him in three of the drafts not get drafted at all. So he's available on the waiver wire. This is easy. No yep. brain stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, last one here is a pitcher because I know Jake loves pitchers, and I couldn't do that to Jake by not putting <laughs> in a pitcher here. At the end, oh, right? I appreciate it. Hey, just for you, man. Uh, Tanner Hall, he is a right-handed pitcher, uh, Minnesota Twins Got him. He did not pitch once he uh, was drafted. Uh, but at Southern Miss, he was very solid. Uh, 18 games started, 112, oh, uh, yeah, 112 in the third innings pitched, 124 strikeouts. That's a 9.9 K per nine with a 2.48 ERA. The guy has a three-quarter arm slot, usually fe features a uh, fastball in the low 90s, but it can max out at 95. It does have good shape and movement to it. The changeup is in the low 80s, and he does have a slider uh, that has decent movement to it. I think, you know, probably as of right now, I'd be saying more towards a back-end rotational type of piece. But we've also seen Minnesota be able to get more out of prospects like this, especially college arms. So he's a guy that I would really want to try to watch going into the 2024 season. Yeah, the the Twins have found their sweet spot. They've they've they're now a pitching factory. You know, they they uh, have been focusing on the college pitchers, and I'm really excited to see what they could do with him uh, because it's been really awesome to see what they've been able to do with with all of their pitchers recently. So that's that's a really intriguing pick. Um, and it's always nice to have have some nice names that you can go and depend on if you are find yourself like stuck at the end, don't know where to go. We got some names for you here, thanks to Rick who will be continuing to specialize on all of the 
late round darts, the lesser known guys, the top 1,000 prospects, 1,500 <laughs> prospects um, for your dynasty leagues. Uh, we'll obviously try to continue this going forward, uh, but this will wrap up our kind of our first podcast with Rick, uh, you know, talking FYPDs and whatnot. Again, feel free to reach out. If you have any other questions about your specific FYPDs or anything else, you can find me on Twitter at JakeMakeMesh. Uh, and then you can find Rick on Twitter at must be the Hawk. Uh, and then you can also see find the podcast on Twitter at PL on the farm. Uh, also want to give you a heads up before we go. I mentioned that we're going to be doing um, weekly episodes in February. And I think I'm, I'm personally really excited because we're going to have a lot of really cool guests. Come on. Uh, I started reaching out to some other people, other analysts in, in the dynasty space. Uh, we're on the next episode. We are hoping to feature Michael Richards of the uh, triple play fantasy crew. Uh, we're also looking at uh, bringing in some some other guys like uh, Zach Beck or Upper Beck on Twitter. He's working with the Chris Clegg at the Dynasty Dugout. Um, some other guys, uh, some a couple really specific uh, cool cool opportunities that we're going to have is we're going to be interviewing um, Alex Coyle, who is a broadcaster for the AAA Memphis Redbirds, uh, talking to him about the, you know, kind of recent rule changes, some Cardinals prospects, um, you know, some things he's kind of noticed uh, from the broadcast booth. And then we're also going to be talking to uh, Drew Martinez, who is a manager for the Giants organization, their DSL team. Um, that is going to be so cool because like we talked about how dsl is kind of hard to find information on uh we're going right to the source uh right to the guy that's on the field with these players uh, so kind of talk to him about some some dsl happenings uh he also coached on the uh afl all-stars team um and fall stars team sorry um and uh, worked with it with the afl um in general as well so we'll get to talk to them both about some some more kind of specific things that are happening on the the team side and you know at the games with these these prospects people are actually interacting with them so that's really cool super excited for that uh and just talking to some just a bunch of other people in the industry we're going to have rick going to games we're going to get so much more insight and, and things like that on the podcast for you all so couldn't be more excited for you just want to give you all a, a bit of a heads up you know kind of stay keep your eyes peeled you know stay uh, up to date on what's happening follow us on on the twitter on the the x if you will um and with that thank you all you know have a great rest of your day thank you to rick for joining and uh really look forward to uh just pumping out some more content for you all